man to walk this earth But I know who he is And I may not amount to what you think is much But I already do to him While people keep searching for answers Looking for a light in the dark, yeah I'm standing with the answer Cause he is living in my heart In Christ, I can do all things In Christ, I mount up on eagles' wings In Christ, I wait for a great reward That I have in store for In Christ, But let me tell you something true The very one who lives inside of me right now Wants to live inside of you And instead of searching any longer You can have peace today You can take hold of the answer thinks I can't work with a whole football field here, making the goal shorter and falling apart. Um, there we go. I don't know if y'all noticed a Band-Aid on my head. Honestly, it wasn't my wife hitting me with a frying pan or nothing like that. Actually, last night as I was on my way to church, I was actually running late, and a grizzly bear attacked me, and I fought my way... Uh, no, it wasn't that really either. But uh, I was late for church last night, just a little bit. I would have been here on time. And then uh, trying to get some of my bags and stuff out of the back of the car, our hatchback, if you touch it or bump it, it comes back down like an alligator claws. 
and it just knocked me silly. So uh, when I came in, I was bleeding a little bit, had this little goose egg on the side of my head. So if I say something that don't make sense today, or if I fall over, just give me a little time, and I'll probably get back up and finish the message, okay? All right. And I'm trying to milk this thing out as long as I can to get some special attention from my wife and everybody else around. Okay. Um, let's see. What's going on today? You guys remembered to change your time, didn't you? That's amazing. And smartphones kind of does that for you if you got one. You know, it's like, oh, the time changed? You know, it's like, and I'm still here this morning. Well, you know, we've been talking for, uh, for a few weeks now about settling for less or receive God's best. And just a tiny bit of a review, just a tiny one, because we're about to wind this thing down, is... Uh, you know, we have learned and are being reminded that Jesus is our quarterback. And the Bible is his playbook. And when he instructs us and teaches us the plays, and if we'll follow what he tells us to do, and we'll, you know, be in the right position, we'll receive what he, you know, passes to us. We'll receive the best, step across the line, make a touchdown. And it's really that simple, uh, you know, as far as our Christian life goes. God is always trying to pass us his blessings. He really is. And if you'll read the playbook, God's plans for you is good. It's not evil. It's to give you hope and to give you a future. And if we make sure that we're in the right place, in the proper place that he wants us, we will receive everything that he has in store for us. But if we're out of bounds, we call that sin, if we are out of bounds, you know, no quarterback in his right mind will ever pass you a football when you're out of bounds because the, the ball is just dead. It doesn't accomplish anything. But when we repent and say, God, I am really sorry. I've blown it. I've really missed the mark. Please forgive me. Then we get right back in the proper position to receive God's best, you see. It's important that we remember those simple principles because I don't think we really want to settle for less, do we? We really want God's best for ourselves, for our family and all. We want to reach our full potential. Um, let's see. I'd like to uh, go over to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6, verse 17. And we're going to kind of take a little bit of a different direction this morning. But as we are learning to trust God enough, to obey him and be in the proper place, we will discover blessings that are beyond your wildest dreams. He says here in Genesis 6, verse 17, he says, I'm going to bring a flood on the earth that will destroy everything alive under heaven. Total destruction. See, what had happened, man had... Uh, been living very, very long. And uh, we're getting ready to read about uh, Noah. And, uh, you know, he was 600 years old this time. And that's not fictitious. That's not a fairy tale. But at that point in time, man, uh, because the whole earth was like surrounded like a uh, tropical rainforest with this cloud canopy that brought, blocked off ultraviolet rays and all. And man lived a lot longer. 
until after the flood when all that water condensed into a flood and water sprung up from underneath the earth and all and it flooded. Well, that rainforest canopy was no longer around the earth. Man only would live to about, you know, the Bible says 120 years, you know, and at that point. I'm, I'm sure Millie, our champion here, who is going to be 100 in a couple of weeks, she's going to make at least 120 or 30, I'm, I'm sure, you know. Or Jesus is going to come back shortly, you know. But see, what happened in the Bible here, so why would God send a flood upon this earth? Because man was living so long and they had rejected God, see? And they were becoming very wicked and, and, and very evil. And they had more and more time to develop their wickedness. And then God says, hey, you know, it's not going to be this way anymore. That's why God was sending this flood. So let me read again. It says, God says, I'm going to bring a flood on the earth that will destroy everything alive under heaven. Total destruction. Verse 18. But I'm going to establish a covenant with you. He's talking to Noah here. He says, you'll board the ship and your sons. We call it the ark, you know. He says, and your sons and, 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 and your wife and your sons' wives will come on board with you. You are also to take two of each living creature, a male and a female, on board the ship to preserve their lives with you. Two of every species of bird and mammal and reptile, two of everything, so as to preserve their lives along with yours. Verse 21 says, Also get all the food you'll need and store it up for you and them. And it says in verse 22, Noah did everything that God commanded him to do. That's a pretty powerful statement there. Can that be said of you and me, that we've done everything that God's commanded us to do? We may have missed a mark. We may have stepped out of bounds. But God will forgive us if we ask him to, and we acknowledge that. Anyhow, picking up in Genesis chapter 7, verse 5, it says, it restates it. It says, Noah did everything God commanded him. And then in verse 6, it says, Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters covered the earth. 600. Noah and his wife and sons and their wives and their sons and their wives boarded the ship to escape the flood. Clean and unclean animals, birds of all the and all the crawling creatures came in pairs to Noah and to the ship, male and female, just as God had commanded Noah. In seven days the flood waters came. It was the sixth hundredth year of Noah's life in the second month on the seventeenth day of the month that it happened and all the underground springs erupted and all the waters of the heavens were thrown open rain poured for forty days and forty nights that's the day Noah and his sons Sham Ham and Japheth accompanied by his wife and his sons wives boarded the ship and with them every kind of wild and domestic animal right down to all the kinds of creatures that crawl and all kinds of birds and anything that flies they came to noah and to the ship in pairs everything and anything that had the breath of life in it male and female and every creature came just as god had commanded noah and then god shut the door behind him who shut the door on the ark god did now, you got to understand that uh, it took him about 100 years to build this boat. And uh, Noah was kind of the laughing stock of the community 
people would come from down in the valley up there on the mountain where he was building his boat at. And, uh, you know, if you've been building a boat for about 100 years, everybody's like, well, we don't have nothing else to do. Let's go and laugh at Noah for a while and pick on Noah, you know. And that's what they would do. And they go, hey, what are you doing, Noah? You know, and, and pick on him and harass him. Although the whole time he was preaching to his whole community, telling them about judgment, and if they would repent and turn from their wickedness, that they would be spared and they would be welcome on the, the boat as well. But we see that they laughed and they mocked. Their wickedness grew uh, worse and worse and worse the whole time. I mean, they were just an evil people. They would not repent. And then when it came time, and you know Noah and his family and all were aboard, Noah didn't shut anybody out. God shut the door. God says, okay, it's time. No one's come. They don't believe. And God shut the door. And, and it began to rain and, uh, you know, unbelievable kind of rain. But nobody thought too much about it until all of a sudden the valley started filling up. And, and then they started thinking, well, maybe Noah had something, you know. Maybe he was on to something and the water began to increase. And, and everybody, along with every animal, began to go toward the mountaintops. But as they came up and they beat on the door of the ark, God had shut the door. And when God shuts the door, no man can open it. And although I'm sure that they were beating and screaming, you know, they didn't believe when God had given them opportunity. They, they refused it. They rejected it. And I can imagine as the water's getting deeper and all the people and all the animals were up on the tops of the peaks of the mountain, people probably ripping their fingernails off trying to open that door trying to get aboard. I mean, it was not a pretty sight. But man had become so evil and so wicked, God says, we're not going to do it this way anymore. But what happened when the flood reached the bottom of the, the ark? I mean, the waters had risen and risen and risen, and it lifted the ark up off of the mountaintops. And it began to float. It lifted the ark, and knowing all of his family and all the animals that was with him, it lifted them up above judgment. They did not perish. Because, see, they were in the proper position. They were in the proper place. And so important. You know, a lot of people, they just settle for less instead of doing what God says in his playbook. But if we'll do what God says in his playbook, we will be in the proper place. Judgment will not come upon us. We'll be in the proper place to receive God's great blessings. Let's see, now where do we stop at? Verse... Uh, was that verse 16 maybe? Okay, let's pick up verse 17. It says, The flood continued for 40 days, and the waters rose and lifted the ship high over the earth. The waters kept rising. The flood deepened on the earth. The ship floated on the surface. The flood got worse until all the highest mountains were covered. The high water mark reached 20 feet above the crest of the mountains. Everything died. Anything that moved, dead. Birds, farm animals, wild animals, the entire teeming exuberance of life, dead. And all people, dead. Every living, breathing creature that lived on dry land died. He wiped out the whole works, people and animals, crawling creatures and flying birds, every last one of them gone. Only Noah and his company on the ship lived. It's amazing. God had been warning people for a hundred years and they rejected it and they settled for a lot less, you know, and uh, they laughed and they had their fun as maybe some people laugh and 
and postpone it you if you're living in Christ. And you know, we, we discover that in the Bible, the ark, it does represent Jesus and those who are in Christ, you know, are protected from the judgment to come. Uh, let me pick up here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, as we go over here to the New Testament. This is after the fact, and, and it's being reported, you know, what has happened. It says in 1 Peter 3, 20, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. God, God was very patient. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, you know. I mean, people believe what God says. The, the people who are actually water baptized, the Bible says, you know, you, you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're baptized as a public demonstration of what that has happened there. You know, and here he says this is a picture of baptism. They did not die, see. They were lifted above the judgment. It says, and that water is a picture of baptism which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 22 says, Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and the authorities and powers accept his authority. Christ, he genuinely is our ark. He is. We have been invited into a relationship with him and that we will not experience judgment. You remember what happened after the flood came, the flood ended, and after all the days out at, at water, and then when the, the waters begin to recede, you remember what God put in the heavens? A little rainbow. And he said, guys, I never, ever will destroy the earth and all the inhabitants again with the flood. And here's my promise. I put this rainbow. They'd never seen a rainbow before. The earth had been encompassed in, in with this, you know, uh, rainforest mentality and now there was a promise to remind us that God did judge the earth God loves us but he does not you know permit us just to run wicked and evil without consequences you see and he put that promise there to remind us that he had made provision for all who believed but everybody rejected his offer you see although he had invited them well in the uh, book of Exodus listen to what it says here it says in Exodus 12 Verse 5, it says, The animal you select must be one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Now, this was the a nation of Israel who was slaves down in Egypt. And God told them that he wanted them to pick a lamb. You know, he said, uh, something that's not sick, not something that's not weak, and uh, then I'm going to have you to sacrifice this lamb. Listen to what he says here. He says, verse 6, he says, Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses which they, uh, where they eat the animal. Now, this is not hyssop plant, but it's the best that we could do at this time of the year, you know, to kind of, you know, uh, illustrate this. And what they were told to do, they were slaves in Egypt, and God's getting ready to set them free. 
And he says, you sacrifice the lamb, you know, this pure, healthy, spotless lamb, and then you dip these plants called hyssop into the blood. And then you go outside, and then I want you to strike the door, the top of the door with the blood. He leaves a mark there, and it's dripping, you know. And then you strike the, the, the doorpost on both sides of that. Now, if you could see an imaginary line of where the blood was dripping down, and then you would, you know, see this blood here, and then go straight across. What do you have? It's a cross. It's absolutely amazing how throughout the Old Testament, God was continuously giving people an example so they would understand the lamb that was being slain for them and his blood being applied to the doorpost, that was portraying Christ who would come. And, and when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, people would finally get it because of the sacrifices. But li listen what happens here. It says in Exodus 12, verse tw uh, chapter 12, verse 12, it says, On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. The wickedness and the evilness of Egypt and all, and, and God says that judgment was going to come. He was trying to get, you know, his people free from bondage. And he told them this night, you kill the animal, the, the sheep, you know, you dip his blood, you put it on your, your door, and then they were to eat, they were to roast it. That was how they were supposed to cook it. They were supposed to roast it and eat it all. And they were supposed to be dressed as ready for a journey. And all of their position, uh, possessions were to be packed and ready to go that night. That's, that's what he's telling them. So it says, on, all, on that night I will pass through the land of Egypt, verse 12, and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's where the whole term, the Passover, comes from. That the death angel who would bring death in that house, when he came over your little bitty uh, house there that night, if there had been blood, people believe what God said, they sacrificed a lamb, they put his blood on the doorpost. When the death angel saw it, he passed over. He did not visit anybody in the house. That's what the Passover is all about. And the blood of Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. That's what the Bible teaches us. And because of what Christ has done, if we've applied the blood to our life, you know, we have already taken, you know, as our own possession, eternal life right now. And we will live forever. And we'll not die and, and will not experience hell and judgment because Christ is our Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us. So he goes on to say here, <clears throat> verse 13, but the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where uh, you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, what happened that night in all the houses where there was not blood, the oldest of that family died. The oldest of all the animals died. And God had told them, if you read the whole thing, you'll find that they were already packed and dressed and ready to go. And come morning, they were supposed to stay in the, their house all night long. But in the morning when God told them to, 
and they were to leave because Pharaoh was ready to get rid of them because his own son had died. They rejected. But see, the Israelites, they were in the proper place to receive God's best. And God's best was that the death angel passed over them and did not visit anybody in their house because they believed, see. They believed the word of God and they were in the proper position to receive God's best. <clears throat> now in the uh, book of Joshua, chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 18, it says, When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. Now here was Jericho. We talked about Jericho in the last week or two. You know about God's people marched around it. And, and what happened to the walls of Jericho? They all fell down, and, and, and it says they fell down flat. I mean, walls that were thick enough to have apartments in them, these walls fell down. And now, there, this is before that happened. Uh, uh, Moses sent out, I mean, uh, Joshua sent out some spies to check out the land. And when they went in, a rumor was amongst the folks in Jericho, hey, that there's some of uh, the Israelites are here. So they began to, uh, you know, rally their army and tried to find them. And Rahab, Rahab actually knew what was going on. And, uh, she pulled them aside and said, hey, you can hide here. Because she had been hearing about God's people, the Israelites. Anyhow, as soon as the soldiers had left, because they were up on her roof hiding under some, you know, uh, bales of hay or something like that, uh, and, and she tied a scarlet rope on and lowered them down. And they promised her, said, listen, when judgment comes upon Jericho, because of your kindness to us, you will be preserved, and your family. Anybody who you bring into your house, they will be safe. It's pretty amazing because this seemingly was just an earthquake, but it, it flattened the walls for miles around. It flattened this wall, knocked it down flat, except one little section that was still standing. And I'm going to tell you, when, when we obey God and, and we are in the proper position, in the proper place, whether it happens to be in a, 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 an ark when the flood of judgment comes or whether it's just in our little house that has blood sprinkled on the door, that's the proper place. Or the proper place is in this little uh, apartment that has a scarlet rope hanging down. And what does that scarlet rope represent? Blood. It represented the blood of Christ to us now. We understand that, see. Here we see these different situations. Well, l let me read on through here in uh, Joshua 2.18. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all of your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all of your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go outside the house, we're not responsible for what will happen. If you, if you say, hey, I'm going to build my own boat. I'll keep up with knowing them. If you're going to build your own little boat... Let me tell you, the flood stayed around for a long time. You'll not survive. If you go, hey, I'm not going to put blood on my house. We just painted this thing. It's nice. I'm not going to mess it up. Well, judgment came, see. And here, Joshua told them, hey, if you go outside, judgment will come. And then it says in uh, Joshua 6, 17, Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab. Do y'all remember what Rahab's... Uh, Occupation was? Prostitute. Does this mean that God 
blesses that profession? Not at all. But God forgives sin of every kind, does he not? And it says, only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. And uh, it is so important for us to recognize and not to look down our noses on anybody of any of their past because God will forgive anybody of their past. And he says that he'll give us another chance. He'll forgive us and cleanse us is what he tells us. And if we want to receive God's blessing, we must be in the proper place. As Rahab stayed in her little apartment until all the walls of Jericho, hers was the only thing that was standing. It was a miracle. It was the, the whole nation of Israel. They all stayed in their little homes. They had blood on the doorpost. And judgment passed over them. And even uh, Noah and his whole family and all the animals, the animals that we know and appreciate. I mean, we, we wish he wouldn't have let the mosquitoes on board, I'm sure, you know. But that's a little mistake maybe. Um, but you know what? He was spared judgment because the, all these stories that we've read about are, are, are true and, and the people were in the proper position. And it's really important that we are in the proper position to receive God's best. If we're not where we ought to be, you know, we're going to settle for a whole lot less. And we understand that these things that we just read about was physical blessings came upon physical places in, a, in an ark, in a, a little house, in a little apartment. But there's things that God wants us to understand of a position that we are that's not necessarily geographically, you know, uh, uh, found or obtained. Um, listen to what the scripture says here in John chapter 14, verse 10. It says, and Jesus is talking, he says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father's, who lives in me, does his work through me. Now, this is not talking about like tools that are in a toolbox. This is more like a, a branch being in a vine. And what he's talking about here is is really talking about a close relationship, see? A close relationship, a, a fellowship of, of, of uh, unity and harmony here. And sometimes that has puzzled people when he says to be in something or in someone. But let me pick up here in John 17, verse 20. It says, I am praying not only for these disciples, this is Jesus, he's praying to the Father for his disciples and more he says i'm not praying only for these disciples but for all who will ever believe in me through their message that was talking about us because we believed in christ because of the message that was passed down to us and he goes on to say in verse 21 i pray that they will all be one just as you and i are one as you and i are as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. See, being in means being one with. It's talking about being in a relationship, being in fellowship. And, and understand, the, the Bible is pretty simple. We make it complicated sometimes. 
But even the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is really not complicated at all. The Bible says that when Susan, you know, and I got married, there was two of us, and we became what? One. You go, oh, you didn't just become one bigger blob. No. We were one in our mind, our thoughts, our purposes, our goals and all. And see, that's the way it is. Jesus says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. You know, he's talking about in a close relationship, in, in, in fellowship, in, in unity, in oneness is what he's talking about. This is what he says here, again, in John 14, verse 20. Jesus says, when I am raised to life again, after the crucifixion, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me. And I am in you. Talking about a very personal relationship with Christ. And that is really the distinctive mark of an authentic follower, you know, of being in relationship. A lot of people settle for less, and they accept religion. And uh, you've probably heard me say this, and I, I believe it to the core of my being. I am not a very religious man. I am not. Religion has a whole lot to do with a bunch of rules and regulations that anybody can do externally, but it has nothing to do with your heart. Your heart's not in it. But I believe what Christ has constantly offered us is a relationship with him. And that's what he's looking for today, that we are in him. We're in a relationship with him. Not just got a bunch of rules that we're trying to keep. Oh, now he has a book of all of his promises and all of his blessings, you know. But as the football players on a football field, they just take, okay, just keep all the rules. No, they have a relationship. They, they block for each other. They, they work together as a team. They know the quarterback, and they work together. They have a relationship, you see. They have a playbook. But it's not just a bunch of rules and regulations. They figure these things out is what will enable them to be successful and succeed, you see. <clears throat> so for us to, to be in Christ, what we're talking about here will bring the, the person, personal fulfillment to a human being that you'll never ever find in anything that you buy, any possession, any pursuit. You will never find the fulfillment that you find in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He has made it available to us. He says here in, in John 14 now, verse 21, it says, those who accept my commandments and they obey them are the ones who love me. It's pretty easy, it's pretty obvious, because see, talk is cheap, isn't it? It really is. I mean, some guy tells some girl, I love you, so he can get what he wants, and then he don't really care. He's off finding somebody else to tell some other little story to get what he wants. But love is a whole lot more than words, is it not? And it says here, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. See? And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Jesus says, if, if, you, if you love me, you're going to do what's in the playbook, and my Father's going to love you, and then I'm going to reveal, I'm going to manifest myself, I'm going to make myself real to you. I will make myself real to you as your Savior, as your healer, 
as your provider, as everything that you need, he says he'll make himself real. It won't be sitting there going, I wonder if God is real or not. He will show up and prove himself to you if we'll enter into a relationship and do the things that he asks us to do because it's for our benefit. He wants us to receive the best. God does not want you to settle for less. He really doesn't. He wants the best for you. Same way you want the best for your own family and for your own children. In John chapter 15, verse 7, listen to what it says. Jesus is still talking. He says, but if you remain in me, remain in relationship with me. Does anybody know what the King James Bible uses there for remain? Abide. He says, if you abide in me, if you live in relationship with me, if you remain in a relationship, not just like an acquaintance, hey, oh, it's good to see you, Jesus, bye, you know. But if you remain, he says, and this is Jesus talking to us. He says, but if you remain or abide in me and my playbook, my words remain or abide in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Sounds almost too good to be true, doesn't it? But it is true. It is true. You remain in relationship with the quarterback and the playbook remains in you. Then you can ask the quarterback for anything and it will be granted you because you're in a relationship, you see. We're not talking about just a bunch of rules and regulations. I'm, oh, I'm very religious. Oh, man, I hope it's not contagious. Get away from me, you know. Like, <laughs> do you have a relationship with Almighty God who loves you? He wants you to address him as Father. His Son is your Savior, you know. Allow his Holy Spirit to empower you. So this relationship is what we're talking about here. Um, now, there are two groups of people on this planet really really are that's, that's what it boils down to those who are outside of Christ and those who are in him that's what it all boils down to you're either outside of a relationship with Jesus or you are in a relationship with Jesus now God made the planet and he put us here for a purpose you may have never understood this but God has a purpose for each and every one of us for being here. And he, and he wants us in a relationship, being part of the team through the playbook. You can understand well, why I'm here for. You're not just running around out there, you know, in the stadium, not knowing what you're there for. You're supposed to be on the, on the field playing, you know. God's got a purpose and a plan for your life. He really does. Now listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. It says, For as in... Adam, what's those next two words? All die. In Adam. See, Adam and Eve sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered into the bloodstream at that point, And they became sinful. And then when they had children, the blood that was in them passed on to their children. And their children had this disease called sin. So we're born. It's just from generation to generation to generation, sin was passed on because of the sinful blood that was in us. Because we're all in Adam. He says, for as in Adam, that's where our relationship was. That's great, 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 great granddaddy Adam, you know. For as in Adam all die. And it tells us in Romans 3, 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned because sin is in our blood. Even if you try to be good, there's a sinful blood that, that, that nourishes our body. 
So he says, for as in Adam all die, even so, what's those next two words? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so, not in Adam now, but in Christ, all shall be made alive. In Adam we all die. That old sinful nature passed from generation to generation. But in relationship with Christ, we're all made alive. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin, yes, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life is in Christ Jesus our Lord. John tells us, in, I think it's chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He is the only door that allows us to get to the Heavenly Father. It's only Jesus. It's not good works. It's not some other religion. It's not this, that, and that. The devil has created all kinds of counterfeits to confuse people on this planet. God put us here for a purpose. And he gave us his word. And, and it's his Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into the truths and all. It's what he's done. But it's only in relationship with Jesus that's what he's telling us here. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption. You ever heard the word redemption? It's not just a spiritual word. You know, uh, the, I, I've actually seen them as we've traveled around from time to time, these places that were called redemption centers. And, and what you could do... You ever look at your water bottle? It says, you can get five cents for it. Did you know that? You knew that. Wow. Because there's somebody willing to buy it back. That means to redeem it. I want it back. You understand that? My head feels a little funny. I should probably hydrate myself. What's that sugar going to do to me now? Oh, man. It's just for my head, you see. <laughs> well, somebody's going to buy these things back. They are redeemable. You know what I'm saying? And, and the Bible tells us here in this verse, Ephesians 1, 7, in him, in Jesus, in Christ, we have redemption. We've been bought back. The devil has done his best to gain control over our lives. And what were we purchased with? The blood of Jesus, you know? That's what God was trying to get to our, through our thick heads when they sprinkled the blood of a lamb on that door. So the, 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 the uh, angel of death would pass over. See, we've been bought by the blood of a lamb. The, the scarlet cord was to remind us that there was some blood that, that brought salvation and spared them from judgment and and the ark was lifted up above judgment. And the ark is Christ if we're in him, if we're in relationship with him. And here it says in Ephesians 1, 7, in him, in relationship with him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. We were purchased. He gave his life. 
Hey, take my life, set them free. In him we have redemption. We've been purchased. We've been bought back through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We have been redeemed. We've been bought back. How? In him. In a relationship with Christ, we've been bought back. In a relationship, we've been bought back. Not outside. Not by keeping a bunch of rules and regulations. Well, I'll do this and I won't do that. You know, and I'll do this and I won't do that. Is it important for us to, to obey? We think, well, obedience. Well, God couldn't expect us to obey. Well, you know what? The, the people out there, the, the traffic laws, they expect you to obey. And you know what? If you don't obey, if you don't obey the traffic signs and, and you don't obey, you know, staying off the road, if you're intoxicated, I hope your license gets pulled because I don't want you killing some of my family. Does that make sense to you? So if you're not going to obey the laws, you shouldn't have a driver's license. Now, I'll tote you around and I'll help you go get your groceries and do things like that, you know. We'll take care of it until you get it right. But if you're not going to obey, you shouldn't have those privileges to hurt a lot of other people. And that's what God was just doing. He was trying to under, get people, you know, I'm giving you an opportunity, repent, repent. He told everybody, kill a lamb, put the, obey me. Everybody's welcome on board the, the, the ark, see, and, and with Rahab. Bring your family, all of men. Probably she had family who didn't believe it, you know. Do we believe what God's word has to say? Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone... Now, how many people on this planet does that refer to? 100%. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in a relationship with Christ, you believe what he did and what he said and that he died for you and he rose from the dead. He says, therefore, if anyone is in a relationship with Christ, he or she is a new creation. A new creation. You're no longer just that old sinful nature having been forced to obey your sinful desires and appetites. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, old things, the sinful nature we're talking about, the attitudes, the shame, the regret. Old things have done what? They passed away. Behold. You know what the word behold means? Look. That's what it means. He says, in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, look. All things have become New, being in Christ brings a radical transformation. In relationship with Christ, you are forgiven. You are pardoned. You can ask and receive your prayers answered in relationship with Christ. And in relationship with Christ brings you into relationship with the Father. It's that simple. And when you and I learn, it's not a geographical place, but it's being in a place, a proper place. It's, it's, it's like being in the, the ark or, or being in that little house with the blood on or being in the little apartment in the wall of Jericho, but it's being in, wherever you're at, in a relationship, an intimate, a real, a close relationship with Jesus Christ. He says you are a new creation. You're not the old creation. You're something new and improved that never existed before. You've been forgiven and pardoned and the sin has been washed away. I'm talking about radical transformation when you're in relationship 
with Jesus Christ. Radical. I mean, it becomes obvious. We go, well, what happened to him? What happened to her? You know, radical transformation, you know, takes place when we're in Christ. That's what he's telling us here. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, amazing passage. It says, for he, talking about God the Father, for he made him, this him is talking about Jesus, his son, for he the Father made him, Jesus, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So Jesus took our sins. That we might, what's that next word? Become. I mean, we never was this before, but so Jesus took our place, shed his blood, so we can become the righteousness of God in him. Now, righteousness, that's one of those kind of spiritual words that we don't necessarily always understand. But, but a lot of you probably know what it says in the Old Testament, that our righteousness is... It's filthy rags. It's poopy diapers. You know, that's what he's talking about. Or worse. Our righteousness means the best that we can muster up in our own human sinful nature, God looks at it and goes, filthy rags. But it says here, for he the Father made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become, if you want to be, he won't force it on you, that we might become the righteousness of God. Where? In relationship with Christ. In Christ, we are made the righteousness of, of Christ. Our righteousness is filthy rags. But what Christ has done for us cleanses us. And the word righteous is just talking about righteousness. is talking about being in a right relationship with God. Being in a right relationship with him. And righteousness always produces this. Righteousness, when, when you know that I am the righteousness of, of, of God, I'm the righteousness of Christ, when I'm in him, Righteousness produces the ability for you to stand in the presence of a pure and a holy God without the sense of guilt or sin. As, as, as if sin never existed. Righteousness means you're pardoned, you're clean, you're innocent. You have boldness and confidence to go to your Father now. You're not going with your head hanging on, I'm just so terrible, I'm just coming to the earth. It's like, I'm the righteousness of Christ. Well, Christ I'm in relationship with Christ and, and Christ goes to the Father, and, and, and the Bible refers to Jesus as being our elder brother. And we go to the Father in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, it's just amazing. Being in the right, the proper position in Christ puts us in the proper position with our Father. It's relationship-driven. See, Christianity is relationship, nothing about religion. It's not religiosity. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. It's relationship is what we're talking about here, you see. And you know what? Our time is about up, but I want us to listen to a song together. And, and maybe you'll let this song kind of be your prayer. And then I will kind of just wrap it up with the brief prayer at the end. And it's just talking about, the song's just talking about in Christ alone. Strength, 
my soul This cornerstone, this solid ground Firm through the fiercest drought and storm What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are still, when striving cease My comforter, my all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand
until he returns or calls me home. And here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Here in the power of Christ, we stand. people struggle with their identity. People are here on this whole planet and they're going, what am I here for? Why am I here? And, and they do all kinds of crazy things and all kinds of crazy pursuits that leaves them just as empty. Many self-medicate themselves and, and trying to find some purpose or identity, but I'm telling you, in Christ alone, we find the satisfaction and the fulfillment, and we reach our full potential in Christ. In Christ, you are the child of God. You are an overcomer. There's so much that this playbook tells you about your identity. You know, so many people are kind of like, you know, I, mean, I really got a, a serious bump on my noggin last night. Imagine if I'd have gone for a few months like, who are y'all? What's that called? Amnesia. I actually was hearing about recently a guy who had been found. He was stripped naked. He'd been beaten up, and he was left for dead somewhere, and the police found him, and they took him to the hospital, and he recovered, and then the FBI, everybody came in trying to figure out who the guy was because he had amnesia, and the last I read, it was like nine years, and he had no clue who he was. He didn't know if he was a millionaire. He didn't know if he was a homeless person. He had no recollection and nobody tracing his fingerprints and everything that they could do could not figure out who the guy was. And there are so many people right now in this world who don't know who they are. But the playbook will inform you and tell you, you are the apple of God's eye. You are his sons and his daughters. And he loves you and he's got a purpose for you. And he wants to pass you the best. And the place that we need, the proper place that we need to be in is in Christ, in relationship with him. That's where we find our true identity, who we are in Christ. Would you bow your heads with me as we close this morning? Father, may this become a reality to each and every one of us. May we pursue and discover who we really are. May we discover our heritage the legacy that you have left for us, the purpose and the plan you have for us being on this planet in Christ alone. We find and reach our full potential. We find our identity, who we are and what we are here for. Bless these men and women. Bless those who hear this message, however it gets to them. May they find their true identity in Christ. Because Christ has taken the judgment on the cross so you don't have to. As our heads are bowed, I'd ask you to reaffirm your faith with me in Christ Jesus. And if you've never welcomed Christ into your life, you can do so today. And you can become a new creation today. All things of your past are passed away. And all things have become brand spanking new. 
Would you pray with us right now together? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And I believe you have a purpose for my life. I believe that Jesus went to the cross. And he died in my place to wash my sins away. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and is knocking at the door of my heart. I throw open the door and I welcome Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord, as my King. I am truly sorry for my sinful ways and I thank you for pardoning me and giving me another chance. In Jesus' name. Um, let me see. Could I have one of those uh, connections cards real quick there? Thank you, ma'am. I'm sorry. Okay. It's my head. I just can't think straight. <laughs> Hopefully I'll get some special attention when I get home today. But I, I did forget our son Benjamin. We got to FaceTime him a little bit last night. He said again, tell everybody hi. He's doing well. You're praying for him. You know, he's doing awesome. Um, our weekly challenge says, I will seek this week to reinforce the truth that I am in Christ. You'll find that by reading the playbook. Fellowshipping with some of God's kids, which that's what we're doing here today in relationship with his children, in relationship with him. So if this is you, you say, this week I'm going to seek to re, you know, in, enforce the truth that I am in Christ. Underline those passages that jump off the page of who you are in Christ and all. And if you agree with that, check it off, drop it in the tithe box. If you are here and you prayed with us a moment ago, you welcome Christ into your life as your Savior, your Lord, stop at our Connections desk. We've got a little gift bag for you. It's got a Bible in there. A movie, some other little gold nuggets that I believe would inspire your faith. And if you're a guest with us, we have a little gift for all of our guests. Stop back there and let me know you're a guest today. Just a little something to let you know how much we appreciate you and uh, glad that you visited with us today. And hopefully you'll come back. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Greet one another. Give somebody a, a handshake, a high five, a hug. God bless you. You are dismissed.